This afternoon we are confessing together the Belgic Confession of Faith, Article 15 of Original Sin. Let us confess this together. We believe that sin, which is called original, has been sown into and poured throughout the whole human race by the disobedience of Adam. Moreover, original sin is a corruption of the entire nature and a hereditary crime with which even infants themselves are polluted in the womb of their mother. And just as a toxic root, it sprouts forth every type of sin in humanity and in the presence of God. It is so filthy and detestable that it is sufficient for the condemnation of the entire human race. Truly, it is not thoroughly extinguished or plucked out by the roots through baptism, seeing that just as waves of a stream continually rise up and pour forth from a corrupt bubbling spring, so too from it. Although to the children of God it is not handed over or imputed to condemnation, but for them it is remitted according to the pure grace and mercy of God, not so that they may fall asleep confident in this remission, but so that with the sense of this corruption it wakes up more frequent groans in the faithful and so that by it they more passionately desire themselves to be free from this body of death. From this we therefore damn the error of the Pelagians who assert that this original sin is nothing other than imitation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we freely confess that we are sinful and that we disappoint you, that we offend you by our sin, but we are likewise grateful uh, for the gospel of Jesus Christ, which has freed us from the bondage of sin and Satan's sway. So Father, help us to have a clear understanding of what sin is this afternoon. Um, Help us to understand uh, the law, that is, and help us to understand the gospel Uh, which is the word of peace to us, the word of reconciliation through the work of Christ on our behalf. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The scripture lesson comes from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through Once again, that is Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Brothers and sisters, hear the word of God. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted when there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many die through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, 
much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of, of all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The word of God so far. Congregation of Christ and Friends. Uh, this afternoon's sermon begins uh, the third sermon in a series of 14 uh, on what is the Reformed faith. In fact, uh, if you've been following this on the website, and we hope that you have been listening to the lectures, this begins the second unit on the pure preaching of the gospel. We say that there are three marks of the true church. The pure preaching of the gospel, the proper administration of the sacraments, and proper church discipline. So in this section now, we're covering uh, what the first mark of the church is, the pure preaching of the gospel. And a part of that pure preaching is uh, to be clear about preaching the law of God, which convicts us of sin. So we're treating a popular topic today, sin, in this sermon. You know, what is it? How do we think about it? There was a television show on earlier this week in which a panel of ladies were discussing adultery. And it was a fascinating uh, discussion to hear because not once was sin mentioned. In fact, the way they discussed adultery was that, well, this is a part of what people go through in the growth process as a human being. You know, you learn from your mistakes and people do this for a while and it's just a part of growing and you have to understand that this is what happens. But never once was sin mentioned and never once was this mentioned in the context of God being offended by adultery. So sin is not a popular topic. It is a word that has fallen largely out of public discourse altogether. And it's understandable why. So we talk about sin, you have to talk about human culpability, and you have to talk about God's anger. So in many ways, this sermon will touch on many of the things we covered in the first on Psalm 2. But in particular, we will first look at the guilt of sin, and second, the results of the guilt of sin. So first, the guilt of sin, and second, the results of the guilt of sin. Of course, when we talk about the guilt of sin, we have to simply define what sin is. Maybe people don't use that term today because they don't understand what the word is. Well, sin is both to break or go against God's law, and not to live up to what God's law calls you to do. So very simply, I want to reduce it to the smallest understandable part, we would say sin is breaking God's law. God tells people what to do in the Bible, people break it, they go against it, and they don't live up to it. That's all sin is. Another way we could put it is that there are sins of commission and sins of omission. So let's use the third commandment as an example. The third commandment says, you shall not take God's name in vain. Now we would say all people break this when they go against the commandment, when they take God's name 
in vain. That's transgressing the commandment. And when they don't live up to what the commandment calls them to do. What's that? To defend God's name and honor. So if anyone takes God's name in vain, if they curse God, they, they have broken the third commandment. Or if they don't defend God's name, say in a public setting, they have not lived up to what the commandment calls them to do. So that is what sin is. It's breaking God's law. And it means that God is offended. He is angry with sin. Now we confessed, confessed as a, a Reformed church that the Bible says all people who have ever lived, who live now, and who are, will ever live in the future are sinners. Christ accepted. Romans 3.23 says what? Memorize this. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Not just this panel of people on television who thinks they know everything. All have sinned. When we say sinners, we mean that it is our nature to sin and we will actually sin every day. This is what people forcefully and happily reject. But what is what happens when people don't listen to God's word at all? They don't care about it. Now the big question is, how do we become sinners? Where does the sin stuff come from? Well, the biblical doctrine, and doctrine simply means teaching, the biblical doctrine to describe how all people are sinners is called original sin. We as Reformed Christians believe the Bible teaches that original sin means that all have the guilt of Adam's sin imputed to them, imputed meaning counting or credited, uh, by natural descent. Okay, let me repeat that. Original sin means that the guilt of Adam's sin has been imputed, credited, or counted to all people who are his natural descendants. So all people have original sin. This is what Paul is explaining and arguing for here in Romans chapter 12. Specifically, verses 12 through 21. And the structure of Paul's argument is very important to understand. He begins his argument in, in verse 12, and you'll notice he kind of cuts himself off. And then he begins again in verse 18. So if you, you tie verse 12 and verse 18 together, it's very clear what he's doing. The verses in between, verses 13 through 17, is a parenthesis. This is where he expands on his argument. So this is why Paul's letters are very hard to read, because he, gets, he starts one thing and goes, oh yeah, let me talk about this. And then he comes back to it. He does this a number of different times. So let's see if we can understand what he's saying here, because this is a very clear exposition of where sin comes from. Verse 12, he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. The one man he talks about here is Adam. Adam we say, is a representative of all people in what's called the covenant of works. So this is how it works. In the garden, Adam and Eve have a relationship to God through the covenant of works. That is, Adam and Eve understood very clearly that in order to please God, they had to fulfill his law. The law of God was given to Adam and Eve. This is why God says, the day that you eat of that fruit of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. There's a punishment for not fulfilling the law. They break the law, there's punishment, death. If they fulfill the law, what is implied is that they will have eternal life. Now we say Adam 
We emphasize Adam because he's the head of the whole human race. That's what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 5. He represents all people. So when he fell, all of us fell in Adam. The way we argue in Adam, this is also mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15, is that Adam's sin is imputed to all people. That is, his sin is credited. It is counted to you. Okay? So on the basis of Adam representing all people, Paul says, sinfulness came into the world and all people died because all sinned. But Paul does not mean here that all people are sinful and die because they sin. Rather, he is saying that all people sin because they are born with sinful natures. That's his argument. And people are born with sinful natures because Adam's sin in the garden is imputed or credited to them. And because of that legal relationship all people have, then they personally sin. So yes, we are condemned for Adam's sin, imputed to us, but also because we really sin. But we're not sinners because we sin. No, we're, our nature is sin, and because our nature is sin, we sin. Now this, this, this imputation stuff is very clear from the completion of Paul's thought in verses 18 and 19. Paul says, As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made, or appointed, sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made, or appointed, righteous. In Paul's argument, there are two important points that make the imputation of Adam's sin clear. Again, what do we mean by imputation of Adam's sin? That Adam's sin has been imputed, has been credited, has been counted to all people without exception. But there are two points that make this clear. First, Paul's argument from verses 12 to verses 18 and 19 state that Adam's sin is counted to you as Christ's righteousness is imputed or counted to you. In other words, there is a parallel here. As Adam's sin is imputed to you and you're all counted as guilty and worthy of death, so through faith in Jesus Christ alone is Jesus' righteousness imputed to you. It's legally counted to you so that you're not condemned. In addition, when Paul says in verse 19 that you're sinners because of the legal relationship you have to Adam, that's made clear by the word appointed or made. Made is a fair trans, uh, translation, but appointed also gives it that legal dimension. So that's the first thing, is the argument's very clear that there's this parallel relationship. You can't, as you have imputed sin to you from Adam, and you're condemned, so those who have faith in Jesus are uh, accredited with the righteousness of Christ. That's how you're saved. You're condemned in Adam, you're saved in Christ. That's Paul's argument. Then second, in the parenthesis, very interestingly, verses 13 through 17, Paul illustrates that sin is imputed or counted against a person only when there is law. This is very important to understand. So sin is counted against you when there is law. So kids, this is how it works. Let's give you two scenarios to understand what Paul is saying here. So your mom makes this great batch of cookies one day. Puts them in the cookie drawer, sets them out. The house comes alive. There's fresh cookies in the kitchen. What do you do? Well, there'd be something wrong with you if you didn't go downstairs to check it out. So you go to the cookie jar and you take the cookies out and eat them. 
Now what happens next? Mom comes running in because this is for you know, the dinner party tonight. She says, what are you doing? I told you. Wait, I didn't tell you anything. Okay. All right. Now, if she didn't tell you not to eat the cookies from the cookie jar, she didn't give you a law. So you didn't break any law, did you? You say, Mom, you didn't tell me. I mean, here's the cookies right here. I'm going to take them. Mom says, okay, I didn't want you to eat the cookies, but I didn't tell you that. I didn't give you a law, so I'm not going to punish you. Please stop eating the cookies now. Yes, Mom. On you go. There's no sin imputed when there's no law. But now say, second scenario, kids. Mom says, kids, I am making cookies right now. I'm going to put them in the cookie jar, and you're not to eat the cookies because they're for my fancy lady's meal, dessert, whatever, after this. If you do this, I'm going to be very angry. I'm going to punish you, okay? Yes, Mom, we take an oath. She makes the cookies. All of a sudden, you just lose it. You go for the cookie jar, and you eat it. Now what's going to happen? Mom's going to come running in and say, kids, I told you not to eat those cookies, right? Yeah, Mom. What did it say? I punish you. So you get punished. And that's fair, right? Because... Mom said, don't eat the cookies. You knew not to eat the cookies, and you ate the cookies. So now sin is imputed to you. So Paul says, before Moses gave the law, there was no stated law for people to break. So he says, why were all these people dying because they're under the condemnation of God from the time of Adam to Moses, when there's no stated law to break, no published law on the tablets? His argument is original sin. God could righteously condemn these people because they had the sin of Adam imputed to them. In other words, people can say, God, you didn't tell me about all these Ten Commandments. God says, I didn't have to tell you you have Adam's sin. Besides, God had revealed things they needed to do anyway. But the basis of this argument is that there's original sin, you see. This is Paul's argument in the parenthesis, which really helps us to understand the imputation and the importance of the imputation of sin. Okay, so that's the first part. Sin is simply breaking God's law. God has given us a law. All people know this. No, all people understand this. Paul says in Romans 2, the sin, or rather the uh, law of God is written on the hearts of people. It's clear that there's a God in the creation. All people, ra- all people know there's a God. Especially those in the church, they have God's stated law in the Bible. They understand this, yet they break the law. They go against it. They don't do what God calls them to do. That's sin. And uh, uh, the imputation of Adam's sin to us is the basis that is, that is uh, original sin. Secondly, very quickly, what are the results of the guilt of sin? There are two. There's personal corruption and judgment. Two results from the guilt of sin, personal corruption and God's judgment. Of course, uh, corruption or pollution arises from original sin, from the root of original sin, as the Belgic says. So we sin, we commit these acts of sin because we have the nature of sin. It is built into us. It's not God's fault, it's Adam's fault. Adam's sin imputed to us. When we're in the womb, we have this original sin, and then it works its way out of our lives as we go against God's law. So Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and following, Paul says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. And on he goes, describing how the human body is representative. The body itself is not sinful, not like matter is sinful, but rather the human body represents sin. In different ways we go against God. We break his law all the time.
And you'll notice that the comprehensive description of this passage relates to the fact that all people are what we called totally depraved. Not utterly depraved. We're not as bad as we could be, but we are totally depraved. That means that all of the faculties that we have, the mind, the will, the emotions, all these things within us are tainted with sin. There's not a part of us that's good. We're completely sinful. That's what total depravity is. There's no inherent moral goodness by which we come to God and say we're okay. Not even a bit of us. No, we're totally depraved. So that's what personal corruption is. We actually sin and we love our sin. Even the best Christians have times in which they love to sin and that's why they sin. They love sin more than they love God. And that's why we rejoice about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. Our sins are not counted against us in true faith. God forgives those sins and imputes the righteousness of Christ to us. Well then finally, because sin offends God and he cannot have sinners in his presence, his justice says that all people must be punished in hell eternally. Romans 2.5 But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And so we must be clear about sin, we must be clear about hell and God's judgment for people to understand the need and the power of the gospel. I mean, why, did, why was Christ crucified on the cross? Why, why did he have to do the law if we didn't have sin? That's precisely why he went to the cross. And our sins, your sins, are imputed to Christ and the doctrine of justification and the righteousness of Christ is imputed to you. We call that the great exchange. It's a great exchange because we understand sin, hell, and damnation and the threat, real threat that it is. But we understand the peace we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In conclusion, first, we've defined sin. Sin is breaking God's law through commission, going against it, through omission, not living up to what the law calls us to do. Original sin is the imputation of Adam's sin to all of humanity. And second, the results of original sin is personal corruption in our hearts and also the judgment of God. God then is just in his punishment. Yet he's also just as he gives you the righteousness of Jesus Christ through faith alone. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.